0: People, so tonight's guest is none other than Dan Lauston. He is the cinematographer on uh, The Shape of Water, John Wick 2 and 3, Mimic, Crimson Peak, and so many more, including one of my all time favorites, uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf. And and he's also an Academy Award nominated cinematographer. So Dan, thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you very much for being here, for sure.
0: Dan, could you uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into cinematography? Like, how did you get into the business?
1: That's a very weird story because I'm educating as a fashion photographer. When I was, you know, I started it when I was 18 Mm -hmm. and I was done with the fashion photographer school, (coughs) excuse me, when I was 21. And I didn't want to do that. So I want to go into a National Geographic (laughs) kind of stories, you know, but it was really difficult for me to do that because I'm living in Denmark, a small country. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know where to go. And then my big sister, you know, maybe you guys have big sisters, but you know how big sisters are. They're saying something to you and they no, and you have to follow them. So my big sister saw advertising in the Danish newspaper about the Danish film school was looking for cinematographers for the, uh-huh. for the new line. And she asked me, what about that? And I said, I don't care about filmmaking. You know, I want to be a, a documentary still photographer. So I don't care. And she said don't be like that just try to do it and you know it cannot hurt you so you know i sent some of my pictures in and um, a month later i got a letter from the school and said oh we'd like to talk to you and i didn't know anything about movie making i've never been like i was a normal kid just saw you know normal movies in cinemas so i went to the school and talked about everything and nothing and um, a month later, again, I got a letter, you know, welcome to the Danish film school. So no test, no nothing. And it was like, of course. And then the first half year, I was a black sheep, of course, because I have never, ever seen a film camera in my world. Oh, so, you wow. know, if you have to pan or tilt or follow somebody, I couldn't do that because I've never done it. So the first like, yeah, half a year was really difficult for me, but I learned it and um, So I spent three years in the Danish Film School with a lot of other students, and that was fantastic. You know, I'm a really big fan of film schools because I think you're doing, you're learning how to make movies together with some people that don't know it as well. And you just find your own voice and your own way to do it. And I finished my first feature film. I left the school in June and I shot my first feature film in July. Um, So I've only been a cinematographer my whole life. I've been focused on one. Show, okay. I was a really bad focus puller. So, <laughs> so you know, it's been really good for me. You know, that's, I think it's a very unnormal way to do it because a lot of people dreaming about being a cinematographer when they're very young, but I I, I didn't do that. I was, it was 100% by accident.
0: And uh, look, where you, look where you are right now.
1: <laughs> exactly, 40 years later, you know. And wow. I've been very, very happy because I think cinematographer is a, a fantastic job. And it's really nice to tell stories with a camera and, you know, painting the lights and writing the cameras, you know, and being together with a lot of cool people. Because film, filmmaking is a cooperation between a lot of people. And I really like that.
0: 100% I, I really agree with that statement, the last one that you just made. It's a collaboration between so many people. And yeah. uh, I mean, so much goes into filmmaking, but ultimately it's the director of photography who is kind of responsible for capturing everything that goes on, you know, visually at least, and yeah. uh, presenting that to uh, the audience. So, what yeah. uh, you're like, doing
1: with the director, and I think that's very important to understand that yeah. you know you are doing, you're making a movie together with the director, mm. and together with a lot of other people. I think it's very important for everybody to understand that you know you have yeah. to follow the director's vision, uh, and of course you in the good way you're going to work together with directors, you have the same taste and opinions about movie making, about because otherwise it can be difficult.
0: 100%, yeah. And this connection between the director and the, the cinematographer or the director of photography, that is really important. And you work with some amazing people uh, throughout the years. So how has that connection worked out for you? Like how important do you think that is?
1: I think it's it's everything, you know, it's but it's like respect, you know, you have to have respect for the directors, you have to respect for the stars, you have to respect for the rest of the crew. But of course, I think it's very important to follow the director's vision in the beginning because, you know, the director's asking you, he or she is asking you to help you to make a movie. And helping is, in my world, supporting. And, you know, some directors have been working, have that story in the mind, so in this soul for like many, many years. And I'm just coming in like... A half a year before we start shooting. So for me, I'm very, I'm listening a lot to the director's vision in the beginning and, and just figure out where he or she wants to go. And then we find a way to tell the stories. And some of the directors, of course, have a very strong vision about storytelling. Um, and, you know, I like a little bit dark side of the lighting. So I like deep shadows and, you know, single source lighting. And of course, when the director said, Choosing me, asking me to help them like the same so you know we don't have to have too many discussions about that but it's you know it's again it's a cooperation between the crew you know the production designer blood from everybody and you know your gaffer your key grip your focus pullers and it's just like we are a bunch of people that want to tell the director's story and i think that's when it when it works it's fantastic sometimes it doesn't work but you know when it's getting when everything is coming together it's, it's really fun 100%,
0: 100%, yeah. So uh, how, how early on do you start uh, designing the look for a film in pre-production?
1: You know, it depends what directors you're working with, but, uh, but as I said, you know, sometimes the director has a story in he or she's mind for like years, and the, those guys are just struggling with the look. So when I'm coming aboard, normally there's a lot of like concept drawings and concept like ideas about how it should look, and I'm going into that, I'm opening that book and working that way. And of course, sometimes I said, why is this not going to be black instead of blue or something, you know, but normally it's between like, I'm on a movie between eight and 12 weeks, 14 weeks in prep, depends a little bit. It seems to be because the movie I'm doing now is getting a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. So, the prep is going to be longer and longer, and that's fantastic. You know, I really like this long prep because then you're doing the movie together much more. If you're coming in four weeks, three weeks before, it's sometimes difficult to find your way into the movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's a lot of talking, a lot of looking up, you know, books or films or whatever. You know, every movie is different. Um, But what I'm doing right now with Guillermo and with Chad and John, John, we, you know, we're looking at a lot of pictures and why we're not going this way instead of that way. And, you know, we have a history now, so it's much easier for us to find the way. And Guillermo is always making some concept drawings and Chad have a lot of pictures. He's showing me what what about that or what about that. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's a lot of fun and a lot of discussions about the look. And it's, it is really, uh, it's, it's fantastic to be together with clever people and just learning something every day so that's great
0: yeah and and the films that you've done like i've noticed i mean uh, especially john wick and shape of water they are just beautiful to look at it's they're very colorful they have set, some you, of um, shadows at certain times are, like uh just looking at john wick it's about like you built up a world from you built the world from the ground up through the cinematography as well. So uh, you, you didn't necessarily work on the first John Wick movie, but coming on the second one, uh, you said previously that you had to level things up. So how yeah. did you manage to do this?
1: No, you know, the first, the first John Wick, you know, those guys did a really good job. It's a really good movie and it's mm-hmm. a very smaller movie and they have, the schedule was very tight and the thing the money was very tight. So those guys, well, the first one, it's the same director, Chad, But there was, you know, there were a lot of problems money-wise as far as I know. So when he asked me to do number two, the reason he asked me to do number two was he had seen the trailer for Crimson Peak. And Chad said, I want to do a Bachelucci movie that looks like Crimson Peak. And I was like, oh, wow, fantastic. And I want to do an action movie that looks like an Italian movie, but very colorful, very very dark shadows, uh, but still... You know, you, not very dark, not a, not a dark movie, but, you know, the black has to be black. Mm-hmm. That's what I like. Well, you know, I really like these black shadows and the high, bright highlights. And so when we have the discussions about after Crimson Peak, you know, we're starting to gain a lot of more colour into number two, find some locations where we could make more colourful and more, more single source lighting, more like deep shadows. And so we spent a lot of time, you know, because most of the movies shot in in New York and we shot a little bit in in Rome as well. Um, so we spent a lot of time because we want to bump it up. You know, you have to do number two better than number one. And of course that's difficult because number one was a really good movie yes. and it looks really good. Uh, so we spent a lot of time discussing where and how to do that. And we have a lot of discussions about, you know, we want to do that sequence should be a little bit more red and this one should be more green and this should be more blue. So we try to put those notes into the screenplay and talk to Kevin, the production designer about that. So
0: he couldn't, yeah. you know, it's so, a discussion. So you basically start, start off, uh, design. you know, you decide what color the, the, the final film has to look in pre-production itself, right? Because I've had certain people uh, sometimes mention, all right, I want, you know, they've shot the movie and they're like, I want the John Wick color grade for this, or they want the the color color grade of the Avengers, but uh, it doesn't really always work that way. So how how do you go about planning the- the, the, Yeah,
1: it's not the way I work. work. It's not the way we are working, you know, we are- if you see the dailies and you see the final movie it looks 99 percent it's very very close to it so you know you're making some power windows from window that's too bright but the color palette is more or less the same because the costume designers the production designer everybody's spending so much time to design the colors so if we're just going to change it in post everything is going to be like if the production designer find a very nice yellow dress and i'm going to put some more green in in the end it's just going to be <laughs> so we don't do that, you know, and actually, yeah. that's, that's coming all the way back to uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf because when we did that, we shot that movie on film, so we didn't, we was the first movie in, in Europe that did a DI all the way through and we have a lot of problems with colors because we could not control the colors. We shot on film and shot it out on, on mm-hmm. digital, so we did the DI. But that was a really difficult. But we spent a lot of time to find the right colors in costumes and makeup and all that kind of stuff as well. Sure. So you have to, so when we're starting to find look the look of the movie, we're not going to, ch- we're not changing that in post. It's going to be like, if you see dailies and you see the final movie it's very close to itself. Uh, a little bit more, you know, sometimes contrast. But we, you know, when you're shooting digital, digital you have so good money, so you have really good equipment. So you, what you're seeing on the set is how the movie is going to look like. So it's much easier now, comp- now comparing to how it was
0: when we shot on film I think. Yeah and you've also said that you know the equipment uh, exists for the purpose of helping you to tell a story that yes. uh, is not always like the, the key thing but how do you go about you know now, uh, in John Wick you had it, it's basically shot in New York for the most part and it's it's a very colorful city. I've been there, and yeah. you amplified it. Like the night scenes in John Wick are really it's, it's vibrant. And you and I had a discussion before about that chase sequence at the start of John Wick Two, where where uh, you had these uh, vertical lights set up along yeah. the street. And I asked you, was it you know was it something that you guys did for the film? And you were like, yeah. So yeah. stuff like that adds to the you know the, the look of the. movie. How do you go about, you know, uh, deciding how to do that? No, just to,
1: you know, we're finding the locations, let's bridge uh, or whatever. And then we said, how can we pump that up? You know, it's fantastic location, but we want to put some more into it. We don't want to go in and just shoot it like a documentary. We want to give it a third dimension. And that's mm-hmm. like, for example, with exterior, you know, Kina flows or whatever, put them up, put some light fixtures on the pedals and have this very large, very artistic input to the locations. Uh, so we try to do that as much as we can. And of course, you can do that because the budget is a little bit bigger than the normal movie I'm shooting in Denmark or in Switzerland. you know. It's, it, when you have a little bit bigger budget, it's easier for you to be doing some clever stuff. But for us, it's very important. Every scene is, have a special, uh, visual, uh, how to say that, vision. Um, yeah, so we, every time we are coming to a location, how can we do that, you know? If, for example, on number three, we shot on Grand Central, Grand Central Terminal. And in the beginning, we, were, we was not allowed to light it. And we said, we, if we cannot light it, we're not going to shoot there. And of course, that's Chad and me, you know, we, if we cannot put a lot of light, and we don't, we don't want to do that, because then you cannot, it's not going to be a John Week just going to be like some documentary it's still going to be a lot of action but it's just going to look wrong um so we are spending a lot of time to try to design that on each set of course uh, and of course that's sometimes difficult in new york because it's so busy city it's so difficult to get permissions and uh and it's easier when you're doing a movie like shape of water because that's most of that is shot on the studio and everything is designed So, precise. And because Guillermo know exactly where he wants to go.
0: And I I think most filmmakers uh, underestimate the power of using water when it comes to, like, you're drinking water right now. (laughs) Yeah. Using water uh, to basically reflect, use as a reflective surface when it comes to aiding in cinematography. And I see you use water quite a lot in in John Wick. Yeah. so So, could you elaborate a little bit about that?
1: Shape of Water, you know, that was a part of the story, of course, that was coming from
0: Guillermo and,
1: you know, that's a part of
0: it. Yeah.
1: Um, but still, in the beginning of Shape of Water, you know, where the of, you know that's a Steadicamp shot coming into our apartment. Yeah, We did that, you know, the, the old fashioned way, like coming from the theater, because there's no water in that sequence at all. That's like shot with smoke and, you know, some flickering, flickering lights from video, video projectors. And then the camera's floating and we're shooting a little bit high speed. And Mm -hmm. we create this feeling about you're below water. Um, But in John Week number three, again, we have discussions about what are we going to do in to bring it up even further up from number two. So Chad and Kevin and me were sitting in a meeting one day and said, what can we do? How can we do New York even more fantastic? And we come up with that idea. We want to shoot everything outside nights. Everything is going to be night, and we are going to rain as much as we can. <laughs> and of course, everybody says you guys are crazy. Uh, and it, it was a it was a drag, but it, it, you know it looked pretty cool. So we have rain towers and rain spinners everywhere, and again, a lot of colorful lights. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's giving the third dimension to the image, you know, you have hammer movement, you have lights, you have, and you have shadows, of course, and then you have this water. It's just giving everything a third dimension. It's, it looks so real. It looks like you, you know, we are not the first movies. All the movies are used in water. It's like,
0: yeah,
1: it is fantastic and it, it's difficult to do it, but it's, it's just looks, I love it. I think it's great. And again, with shape of water, you know, we have all the rain every time. Every time we're outside, there's a lot of, lot of rain. Yeah. Um, hang on a second. Hi, I'm just sick Um That's my son coming in. here. Yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah. So. Water is fantastic, you know, because it's a third dimension and it's so powerful because you can see it's giving something to the actors, it's giving something to the yeah. image and it's just getting everything more real. Uh, and of course, for the story is, is great as well.
0: Sure. And I think we saw uh, that was a question somebody had asked you about uh, how how do shortlists and storyboards contribute to, you know, the cinematography. Do you work with shortlists and storyboards?
1: No, with Guillermo del Toro, he's making his own small storyboards. Uh, but, you know, he's not making a storyboard. He's just making a shot list for him, so he knows what we are going to do. But shape of water for example we are shooting that chronologically we are shooting you're turning around all the time you're not shooting like you do normally you're shooting towards the windows in the morning and then you're turning around Hmm. shape of water we are turning around all the time because the camera is moving so much so you have to design 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 the camera movement into the access movement right so i'm turning the light around or we are turning the light around every time you know every for every shot it's a little bit time consuming and a little bit sometimes you lose the connection of the lighting, but you try to be on top of that and on John, Wick, we are doing some concept storyboards, you know, just so because there's so much action now and then. So we're doing some concept storyboards together, Chad and me and everybody else and it's just so we have a guideline for the crew and for ourselves. So this is more or less what we want to do, but we are not follow the storyboard. So it's not like, oh, this has to be a medium shot. Mm. And, you know, John Week is shot with two cameras and Shape of Water shot with one camera. One
0: camera.
1: Um, and when we shot John Week, we shot Master Anamorphic. And when we shot Shape of Water, we shot uh, just Master Primes. Oh. Um, so it's two two different kind of... Way to shoot, shoot the movie. So, John, we are shooting with two cameras all the time.
0: I'm, I'm curious, like, okay, let's, uh, if you have two cameras, yeah, I can understand, like, you get enough, like, some sort of coverage, but yeah. if you're not working with shot list and you are working with one camera, don't you run the risk of not covering enough footage?
1: I will say, if you're working with a guy like Guillermo del Toro, you know, he knows exactly where he wants to go. And I don't think, a lot of times, I personally don't think you need the coverage. You know, sometimes you're just shooting. Again, it depends what directors want to do. It's like, you know, I'm not going to be in the editing room. So it's a director's call. Yeah. But a lot of times B camera can do some, depends what, what kind of movie you're doing. Uh. So I think one camera you, it's for me, it's, you can be more, be more precise, but on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with John week, you know, so we're doing that. So we're doing yeah. A camera and then we're doing three-quarter B camera along the lens. Uh, and we're thinking about the light all the time. We're not jumping the line for the light or something. you know. We are putting the camera where it looks really nice for the lighting as well. So it's not like, we're not jumping around the lighting. So I think that's very important when you have a director that accepting that it's, it's much easier to shoot with two cameras.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but you cannot shoot with two cameras when the camera's moving so much as it does on Shape of Water because that camera's moving all the time. True. There's and, no way to get B cameras. B cameras will always do some crap. You know, because the camera's coming, you know, going 360 sometimes or 280 or whatever. So you cannot come around true. Uh, with B camera or with the same camera. And I and, don't like a and B camera because if it's you know it's two two cameras it's not A and B because if you sometimes you're using A camera and sometimes you're using B camera in the movie and it's like no, nobody knows that before you're sitting there sitting.
0: That, that's that's crazy. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned a lot of you know uh, in the movies you use a lot of uh, camera movement as yeah. well. So uh and most of it I is. Know. You know, yeah, it's most of it is like motivated camera movements. And uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, uh, hand going handheld uh, and like, steady you know, steady cam basically, uh, s- uh, still shots and d- dynamic camera movement. When do you employ which?
1: I just think, you know, when you have, depends what you want to tell. But normally, yeah. we are never on a tripod. We are always on a dolly on a G-bomb or a small crane or Steadicam. Uh, and until we. On John Wick, sometimes you know some of the sequences shot handheld because it's giving it's giving it some more dynamic into this to the frame.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: depends a little bit. That's the discussion we have from scene to scene. Uh shape of Water, you know, it's cranes, dollars with a G-bomb, hot everything is hot head more or less, or it's a um, steady cam. So you know the jill egg. We have Jill on, on, on um, his own operator on, on uh, Sabre Water. And we have been working together since uh, Mimic. So, you know, we know it's all. And Guillermo have used him on all his television shows. Yeah. And he's a fantastic operator. So, you know, we have this like, and Guillermo knows exactly, that's what I've said before, you know, he knows exactly where he wants to, to cut. So he's not covering, you know, he doesn't need that coverage. Uh, because you know what he wants to do. And of course, when you're doing an action sequence on another movie and you have less time, you need to bring B camera in to make sure you got your stuff.
0: Um, yeah, and, and, and uh, what about, you know, uh, there's, there's this one sequence in uh, John Wick, I, I, it was a second one, if I'm not mistaken, you, you had to shoot in a room full of mirrors. Yeah, and <laughs> the room, that was
1: a set, uh, yeah. that was a studio. But, you know, we, we was cheating there a little bit because we realized very fast we were looking into some of the old classic movies that were been shooting in mirror rooms.
0: Enter mm-hmm. the Dragon. Yeah, for example.
1: Um, but we was cheating, you know, we just shot it and we painted operators and they quit. <laughs> So that was like. Did lying. you prepare for
0: that? Did you prepare yes, to yeah, you paint sure. them out?
1: Okay, yeah. Okay. So we thought about we tried to get it, we tried to have as few, few reflections as possible. Uh-huh. So some, you know, when you have a, where well, Keanu Reeves is coming and you have that mirror
0: door, he's coming
1: up and uh-huh. he's closing again. You will see the camera there.
0: But that was you know, a crazy know? shot. I and mean, when I saw the VFX breakdown. I was like, okay, okay. So that's how they managed
1: to do it. Yeah. No, we painted out. I have to. Gotcha. No, we
0: about uh, visual effects as well. So, uh, you know, what are your main concerns with visual effects? And like, how can filmmakers make it uh, better? Uh, how can they make uh, visual effects like, you know, through the cinematography? I
1: think the visual effects people I've been working together with for the last couple of years, you know, they've been so good, so you don't have to think about too much. Sometimes you need a green screen or blue screen, but it seems like a lot of people are starting to rotoscope much more now. So you just shoot it as nothing is, don't think about it and just shoot it and then they're fixing, fixing it later on. It's not like in the old days where you have to spend like hours to to make a exactly the right exposure on the green screen or everybody was unhappy about the green. It was not like exactly well exposed. Yeah. Uh, so what's happening right now is, you know, you're shooting, you're making your scenes together with director and then the post-production people just take no and change the background or change whatever they have to change. So it's getting much, much easier for us right now. But of course, the visual effects, people have to understand the look of the movie, but they're not going to change the lighting, they're not going to change the contrast, they're not going to change things. The framing, they just have to do it better. So. Of course, your exposure has to be right. You cannot underexpose, but you know you can never underexpose. You know your exposure you has to be right, yeah. uh, because as soon as you're coming in and you know the black is getting grey, you're just especially if you're doing visual effects, you're
0: taught, you have, we'd have a problem. Um, that bike. Uh, there was this bike sequence uh, in the third movie, where John Wick's basically uh, having to fight off like this bunch of guys with swords and they're, they're on motorcycles. Oh yeah, and that. That was entirely VFX.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We shot. We have this at the end, the beginning. Chad wants to do a chase on the bridge. Mm-hmm. So the first week we was in New York, I went out with the, one of the operators, and just a van to make a plate shot on that bridge. And you know, that was okay, but we didn't like it. It looks too boring. So we put fluorescent tubes on like every second pillar for a mile.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then, so that, that sequence is a split between, we shot on the bridge, we shot green screen, and then the visual effects helps a lot to put everything together. So yeah. that's, like, yeah, so that's three things, you know, it's like a lot of visual effects and a lot of stuff in the green screen in the studio. And then we shot some real stuff in the Russian arm together with second unit on the bridge Uh, but we spend a lot of time to get the right look for that because you know again we want we don't want to go out on the bridge and just shoot it as it is we want to put a third thing in a third dimension and then you know yeah put florations up on the on the pillows and stuff like that and that's a pretty cool sequence it is
0: yeah we have a good question over here uh so uh, dan how often does it happen that the dp has to do the job of a director uh, I was on the set on the Star Wars Last Jedi filming in Dubrovnik, Croatia, and out of 11 days, the director was there for two days, and the DP did the director's job for nine. Wow.
1: See, I've never been there. I've never done that. You know, I've always, for me, it's like, the directors I'm working together with, you know, are there when I'm there, you know, I'm there when there's, those guys are there, you know. Mm-hmm. The directors I'm working with, are, if they're 20 hours there, I'm 20 hours there. You know, I'm there to support them 100%. So I've never been, I've never done a movie where the director is leaving and I'm finished it. I've never tried that. So, you know, yeah, I'm very lucky, yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, because the directors, again, they're asking me to help them. And I will, I will do that as much as I can, of course. And, and so, what about
0: those instances where uh, the director's vision and yours kind of collide. Uh, how do you achieve that sort of compromise where you think a shot should go a certain way, and the director has a different uh, idea? Do you ever come across moments like this, and if so, how do you? Uh, but less and
1: less. I, as I said in the beginning, you know it's important to find to work together with people you have the same opinion about, or you know the, you're not you like the same things. If the director wants to be a very a lot of fill light, a lot of flat lights. I'm sure they're not going to call me. Uh, So you know, the directors I'm working together with really like this contrast lighting as I do as well. So it's, of course, now and then, especially when you're younger, you have to find your way around it and discuss: is that too dark or is not too dark, or is it too blue or not too blue? But you know, again, it's a director's movie. If the director doesn't like what you're doing, he's just going to cut it out. Yeah. You know, And I think it's very, very important to understand that you are there to support the director and the movie. It's not your movie, it's not my movie. I want to help as much as I can. And I'm very, very, I want to do it as good as I can. But I'm not going to sit in the editing room for like nine months or 10 months or whatever. So to get into a fight with the director, I think it's so disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Because again, he or she is asking you to help and help is supporting. And of course, you can have a discussion about something, but it's not like a fight. Uh, and I think it's like an artist things. And you know, it is, as I said before, we are a group of people that are making these movies together, but there's only one caption on the ship. And that is a director. And you, it's like, and it's going down in the system. You know, you're, you're not going to discuss what lens you're going to shoot with, on, with your first AC. <laughs> You know it's like you know of course if somebody have a really great idea it's nice to talk about it for a minute but normally you know the director know where he or she is going i know what i like or doesn't like and I, we have a lot of discussions about how to do it but it's not like i think it should be blue and she think it should be green or whatever it's very you don't do that on the set you can t- you can have that discussions in prep yes but when you're standing there with the actors and the, the the train is leaving the platform. You have to be.
0: You've always decided board. on that.
1: You have to be in the same boat or the same train or yeah. whatever you say. Uh, and I think again, support and respect—that's the most important thing. And it's the same, the same taste, of course.
0: Definitely. About and, yeah, and there are those certain times where you know, uh, no matter how much prep you sometimes put in, uh, things tend to go wrong on set.
1: Of course, you yeah. know that. <laughs> That's a part of the challenge.
0: Yeah. It's like... And how do you navigate those times? Let's just say, for instance, you have to you know, uh, you know, have to switch locations. Like one location doesn't really work out and uh, in the middle of shooting, you got to, you know, you're given like a brand new location and you've never been to this place before. How do you I, manage to light it up and like, how do you navigate that?
1: You know, you do that on smaller movies, I think. And I, I've done that yeah. a lot of times, you know, when I shot in Denmark, you know, because the Danish movies, and you just have to be open-minded, you, you know. You have, for me, it's very important to have a plan. You have to have a plan in your, he- in your head. Because the better plan you have, is, it's easier to change, your, to change your ideas, you know. If you're thinking about the key line should come from right instead of left or whatever. Whatever reason is coming, you have to change it. If the plan is very precise, you can just change it without too many problems. But if you're coming into a place and you don't have any plans, you're just going in to chaos, I think, you know, but that's the way I work. A lot of people like to be to see the location for the first time and just do it, play it by ears. But, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with directors, with well, my crew, my guy from my key grips, on location scouting. So we know exactly where we're going to put all the stuff. Uh, sure. And if for whatever reason something is changing, you know, one crane is broken down and you cannot take it up, you have to be think fast and do some even better and you know i don't if we have a plan and the Drakes is coming to me in the morning and say i don't like to shoot this way i think we should shoot that way mm-hmm. i don't care if it's going to be better you know i'm not like no no we cannot do that because we talked about shooting this way you know if you're changing and it, it's going to, going to be much better it's great you know it's like it's, as long as it's getting better and better, it doesn't matter what you're doing. But if it's getting worse, of course, then, then it's a problem. That's but I'm just problem. saying, you know, don't be afraid of changes. But, you know, I, for me, you know, everybody has different ways to work. But if if I'm well organized, my crew know what to do, and then we're changing plans, it doesn't matter as long as it's getting better.
0: Sure. So, so the question about... Uh... So how often do you come across a situation where director's uh, shot, their picture initially becomes an impossible task for the DP? I think uh, what she's trying to ask is uh, what the director has envisioned before. So it's p- quite similar to what you just uh, spoke about the, the, when the initial plan kind of changes and it becomes like an impossible yeah. task for the
1: DP. It's not, sometimes it's not possible to do what you know. That- But again, it's like, for me, it's like a corporation. You know, we talk about, it's not like the director. It's not like a war. We're doing the same stuff. You know, you want to do as good as you can do. Because as I said before, if the director doesn't like what you're doing, they're just going to cut it out of the movie. Uh, And that's not good. So for me, you have to be open-minded. Be prepared, you know, prepared, support, and open-minded. Uh, and of course, sometimes if, you, if you're very insecure, it's some, sometimes, of course, more difficult to understand that. When I was a young, younger guy, you know, you were dreaming about sunshine and it, you come out to the location and it was raining. It's like, oh, gee, I'm going to die, you know. But
0: <laughs>
1: you cannot change that. You just have to go with the flow there. And of course, you can yeah. open mind. It's, it's great, I think. But again, have your plan, have your vision. But don't be a backseat driver.
0: Uh, you co- you know, you covered action sequences from back then, basically. Let's say uh, from *Brotherhood of the Wolf*, and then you come all the way down to something like *John Wick* three. How has, uh, how has the way you covered, you know, you uh, you approach uh, action changed throughout the years?
1: I think when uh, *Brotherhood of the Wolf* was another situation because there was like. I haven't seen that move for many years, but I remember, you know, there was a lot of speed, speed ramping, you know, going from 24 frames to, to 96. So we shot a lot of the action sequence in the beginning with a big fight in the rain. We shot that with three cameras. One 24, 24 frames, one forty eight 48 and one 96 oh, wow. uh, side by side. So uh-huh. he could go for like 24 speed ramping to whatever he wants to do. Um, um, Christopher Kent, and a lot because they want to speed ramp. So, you know, the camera was moving not too much there because it was so difficult to control it. Um, and now we're shooting, you know, a lot of stuff. And we're shooting 48 and you can just speed ramp as, as, as you want on digital. Uh, it was more difficult when you have to step print and all that kind of stuff in the old days. And that was one of the reasons we was trying to finish Brotherhood of the Wolf on a DI, so they could speed ramp, you know, they could do all that stuff in post. Um, and I think John Wick, the reason it's so easy to do, or not so easy, but it's easier to do the big white shot is because Keanu Reeves is so amazing actors and he's so fantastic to do his own stunt. So you don't have to cut into a Close up of a hand just to cut away for something, and just you know, and
0: yeah.
1: And that was a reason that was what Chad told, told me first time. I want to shoot it as wide as I can because that is the action, and I think that works fantastic. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons John Wick works visually so great is Chad is playing everything as much as wide as he can, sure. Definitely. Uh, and of course we have big cameras to do some stuff, but you know, and a little bit handheld, but, but a lot of, you see a lot of the stuff is, you know.
0: Like you actually see the action that's taking yeah. place. You actually see the fight.
1: I think we shot John week 3, 60% or maybe 75% of the whole movie was shot on the master anamorphic 28. You know, we shot a really wide angle. And we was like, let's go wider, but we didn't have, that was the widest we got 28 millimeter. You know, that's pretty wide on anamorphic. <laughs> yeah. So we use that a lot. Um, and of course, that's difficult to be so wide angle because then you, all the light has to get out of the frame. And, um, but I think that's one of the reasons it works so great is he's a fantastic accent, fantastic stunt person. And you and can a just. Part of
0: someone else that you worked on with Brotherhood of the Wolf and in John Victor, so uh, that's Mark Dagascus. Oh, yeah, but he's fantastic, too, you know, and I saw
1: (laughs) another movie with him uh, called Nomad in Kazakhstan for many years ago. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Okay.
1: But Mark is an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy. I met him last year in San Diego. Oh, yeah, no, he's fantastic. And Reeves is just the best. He's just fantastic. He's so great to do that. Um, That's pretty cool.
0: You have to meet him, but let's see, someday. (laughs) All right, guys, so uh, we are coming to the last quarter of our session. So if you have any questions for Dan uh, regarding cinematography, please do drop them in the comments below. And uh, we actually have one question. So uh, what general advice would you give an aspiring cinematographer?
1: I think you have to find your, try to find your own legs, stand on your own legs and try to find out what you like to do and which kind of how follow your heart, follow your instinct. And you know, try as much as you can to, uh, because right now it's so so easy to to shoot some small sequences on your iPhone or whatever you're using, and just figure out what kind of style of lighting and camera movement you like, and just follow your heart as much as you can because I think that's so important when you're coming out there. There's so many people asking you about so much stuff, so you have sometimes have to have your mind clear for that and it's nice if you're just exercising back home or play around with, with the images so just rehearse rehearse and rehearse and everybody's doing mistakes but you know if you're just rehearsing with yourself and some friends it's it's great to play around with the images
0: definitely and uh, <laughs> would you ever consider taking on a mentee what is that would you ever consider taking on a mentee? Would, you ever, play uh, would you ever play mentor to somebody?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe you know. Yeah, of course I like to learn people. You know, now and then I'm I'm schools and, and something like that. But yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, my my personal DP is on the chat here as well, Kasim Heyman. Uh, So he's asking, when looking into complex setups, even though I have watched a lot of BDS and stuff, it's not easy to picture the mirror room scene in John Wick 2. So my question is, when creating something like that, uh, the question's cut off, but I think what he's trying to ask is, uh, how do you basically prepare for something like that in advance, something as complex as the mirror room sequence?
1: Again, you know, we have to be so prepared, you know, we have to find a light, a way, because we don't want to top light everything we was... You know, it's easy to just chop light, go everything, you know, chop light, chop light. But I don't like that, so we try to have some, design some light fixtures so we could keep in the shot. But that was giving us uh, us the key light. So a lot of that light in that movie, on that sequence, is done with practicals, and we just have like Kina flows hide behind the practical. Um, I don't think we were painting any lights out in that sequence. We painted operators out, but not nothing, no lights. And we were. No. Lights. And again, you know, that sequence has to, that part of the fight has to be a little bit more to the red side, and this has to be blue, so mm-hmm. people's not getting too confused about where he was. You have to have a kind of a guideline color wise. Um, so that was what we spent a lot of time to, of course, to figure out what
0: part of. of I have a question regarding, uh, you know. Uh, similar shots like do you ever use motion control so that you can like repeat the same motion again with i haven't done
1: i know a lot of people are are doing that but i haven't done motion control for many years i think uh some people are you know using you're doing your crane shot and you're just rotoscope the background and put against the background or whatever but but i haven't done anything motion control for many years it was very popular for a while i think a lot of people still using it but I haven't been a part of that for some years. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. And we uh, we have another question from Instagram from someone who couldn't uh, attend this session. So uh, he's asking, "What are your upcoming projects and which directors do you dream of working with?"
1: I'm working on a movie right now with a Garcia called Nightmare Alley. But you know we are shut down for the Corona. Um, I'm working with people right now I really like. And I think, you know, that's, I I don't have anybody I really like dreaming about, you know, there's a lot of good directors. And of course, it's not like I want to do a movie with him. I'm very pleased about where I'm right now. So I cannot say I want to do that with him. You know, it's just, I think the movie I'm doing right now, I'm I'm so lucky I'm working together with great, great
0: directors. I'm curious, what's the longest single take shot that we've ever done? How do you prepare for that?
1: I think we have done you know five or six minutes. Um and it's like a lot of rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we're starting to if the camera's moving around a lot, we have this handheld key light, so you know we we can carry the key light around, so it's not going to be flat. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: and of course, if you have a the problem with long long takes is it really have to work, otherwise they're going to cut it out out in the middle or whatever. Uh, and that's always, um, of course, a challenge. And I just, I don't think it's the length of the movie or the takes that's fantastic. It's like how you want to tell the story. For me, it's not like, oh, it's fantastic if people can make a take that's like 10 minutes or whatever. It's great, it's fun to do it, but it's just, I think that telling the story is more important. And of course, if you're doing a long take, you're rehearsing that a lot, then you're shooting it. Um, And of course, that's time consuming Uh, and fun. No, no no doubt about that. (laughs)
0: hundred percent. Yeah, okay. There are two questions. Uh, One is about using references for shooting and the other one is about new lighting technology. So I'm going to combine these two questions and ask you uh, what setup? references do you use if at all for uh before you light a scene like do you use references from movies magazines photographs or like how does that come about
1: it's coming more like from pictures and you know you have i take a picture when i walk around the streets in new york and take a picture of the street well this looks great and sometimes you, you have a reference from the from an old black and, you know, I'm very much, I've never done a black and white movie, but I'm very inspiration, inspired about black and white. Uh,
0: I mean, you're very, uh, you're very uh, happy about, yeah, you're you very keen to shoot the shape of water in black and white initially.
1: Yeah, but I'm so happy we didn't do it because it was being another movie and I think the color palette in shape of water yeah. is amazing. That's a big, big part of the movie. So first time Guillermo talked about doing it, it was like black and white, but that was for life for 10 minutes. And I'm so happy we didn't do that because it was, it was going to be another movie. Um, but, you know, I like this, where, where the light has a direction. You know, it's uh, my inspiration, it's coming very much with d- discussions with the director about what about to doing that and what about. We are not saying, in the beginning, we have a lot of pictures on the walls just to a guideline. But when I'm coming into more precise about how to light it, it's more like, we're discussing it, and then we start to do We, we Normally, we have a lot of pre-lighting time. So, you know, we can pre-light a set, take a picture, come back to the set day, day the next, next day, and just work a little bit more on that. So that's, of course, a big luxurious thing.
0: Got
1: you. Uh, right. But we're we spending a lot of time on pre-lighting. So that's, of course, you cannot do that on a smaller movie because you don't have the money. But if you can prepare yourself for some pre-light, that's a really big, big help. So you're not coming in like starting from scratch you just have cables and lights and all that is is up
0: there that's it. that's very nice i have a question with regards to you know basically independent making uh, filmmaking and like uh for upcoming cinematographers like most of uh most of them are like uh, very concerned about the, the the technical aspect what sort of advice would you give them in terms of how to uh Better handle the technical aspect and also the storytelling side of things. How can they start merging these together?
1: Of course, you need to know something about technique, but you know, I don't know anything about the cameras anymore because the camera's getting so complicated. So, you know, I'm so lucky I have people to help me with that. But I think the storytelling and telling, I think storytelling and telling the light and camera movement, that's much more important. And I think people should spend more time to think about that instead of like, I want to use that on that camera of course it's important to have a good camera and some good lenses but i just think spending more time to watch movies you like you know and how it's lit and how you're going to i think the storytelling and the lighting and the camera movements that's that's very very important and of course that's very difficult to learn so sometimes it's easier just to learn how the camera works but i don't i think a lot of people it's cool to have a cool camera. It's good to know everything about it. But I'm just saying it's much more important to know how to tell the story with angles and lighting and camera movement. That's that's uh, I think that's the most important thing as a cinematographer. It's
0: it's not the camera, but the, the, no. the camera is
1: important. But, you know, still, it's more, <laughs> more about how to tell yeah. the story.
0: And we have the age old question. Your feelings regarding stock versus digital. I would say I was
1: I was so much against digital, against digital in the beginning. You know, I didn't like it. I was so much like, you know, this I hate it. You know, I don't want to do that. Um, and I have to say, then we did some tests when we have to do shape uh, Crimson Peak with Guillermo. Uh, and I understand if people are able to shoot large, for, large format on film, you know, it's, IMAX is fantastic. It is fantastic. Uh, but I've never been able to do that. And I think the digital world is so good right now. You can see, you know, Shape of Water, Blade Runner, all those movies. Um, it's again, it's not about the cameras. It's about the lighting for me, you know, as long as you can control the lighting and you can paint the light and you can moves the camera as he wants to do. I'm very, very pleased with what we are doing right now. We are shooting Alexa, Master Prime, Master Anamorphic or whatever we are using. Uh, Right now, we are shooting Guillermo's next movie. We are shooting with the Alexa 65 and that's an amazing camera. Um, So I cannot say anything bad about digital. You know, I changed it, but I, but, but I was very much against it in the beginning. I was, I shot a couple of, I shot one movie and then my sell, and I hated that thing. For me, it didn't work at all. And <laughs> then uh, it's like, and then I shot another one on film in Vancouver. That was my last movie in Vancouver. And everybody hates the look because they didn't like the grain. So we have some noise reduction, everything, because people want to have this like crystal clear. Mm-hmm. And I would say, the way it works right now with DitaCell, you know, you what you see on the monitors, that's what you get. It's, it's uh, fantastic. Of course, some of the magic has gone away. Um, but I'm very pleased about DitaCell. I cannot say anything bad about it because the last couple of movies are like five movies I've done. On DitaCell, I'm very pleased about the look. John Wick and Shave of Water and Crimson Peak. You know, all those is shot on the same Alexa,
0: Master of Crimes or Master Anamorphic. You mentioned master primes and anamorphic lenses like quite a lot. Has that become like your set standard right now?
1: No, that's because I like those lenses. You know, I'm not this guy that wants to have a. If I'm going to shoot, if I want to have a flare, I want to make it myself. I don't want to have an accident. It's again, as I talked about Mm. before. Oh, by the way, we got a flare. If we want to have a flare, we want to make it. So that's again, preparation. (laughs) And master anamorphic gotcha. and master master primes are not making any kind of flare. They're just like super sharp lenses, and they're not making any surprises for you. If you want to do something weird, you have to make it.
0: And, and I like you, it. you got lens flares by uh, attaching fishing lines.
1: Yeah, we got fishing lines inside the camera on John Wick because those lenses are not making any flare. They're so sharp and so precise, but we like to have the anamorphic the anamorphic flares. So we put fishing lines in, inside the camera and it, it works pretty well.
0: Wow. <laughs> any, uh, anything else, uh, like, like anything else, uh, any other tips and tricks that you've used that have somehow uh, elevated the look of a film in, in a similar way?
1: Shape of water, we shot with a diffusion filter inside because the master primes are so sharp. And I really like the black and I like the contrast and I like. They're not doing anything funny. But we think it was just too sharp. So we put a quarter black promise inside the camera just to break the highlights up a little bit. And you know, nicer skin tones for the actors, especially the female actors. Um, but it's not changing the performance of the lens. This is just softening the highlights a little bit. And that's that was what we like to do.
0: So we have that
1: put that filter inside the camera as well. Or actually, yeah, yeah. behind the lenses.
0: We have so, three minutes more, and uh, I'm gonna wrap this up with one final question. There's this one particular scene in uh, *Shape of Water*, where you change the color tone, inspired by the story. Basically, uh, Sally Hawkins's room—it's basically a uh, iron green, uh, teal colors, and it slowly changes into uh, gold hues when the fishing the fish guy comes in
1: that's because she's falling in love and we haven't we have a discussion about that you know we was going for little chill, yeah and mm-hmm. then they're coming into the bathroom and they're falling in love and we just change the color to more like sunset and we have that discussion in in prep you know we want to do that much more romantic uh, and it's a huge huge cheat but nobody seems to to have any bad feelings about that. And it works. For me, it works fantastic. Uh, it, and
0: that's just it what brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, it definitely. works brilliantly. <laughs>
1: like, I think that's a good example of, you know, how you can change the lighting, changing into the story, and nobody's going to like, what is the sunset now and then you cutting out again, but it's like, we yeah. want to do it much more, more, that sequence much more romantic. Yeah. And that
0: was and the reason actually- and at the same time, I think you managed to, you know, supplementally change the mood and affect the audience. So your job, I think I would sum it up by saying you try to make the audience feel something visually. Yes. Yeah, sure. Emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So but again,
1: big, big discussion between. It's not something I'm doing on my own. You know, you have to do that with the director because it has to be a part of the story. And, if, you know, they have to be like a storytelling point. Uh, yeah. And that's... Again, that's the beauty of movie making. You're doing that together with of people. That's what Dan, I like.
0: Dan, thank you so much for. Oh, welcome!
1: I hope you. Uh,
0: we look forward to seeing you. Hopefully, working on uh, John four and also looking forward to Mike Alley. And uh, till such time, I think we might have to go around too, because uh, I see a lot of questions coming up, and I have right. myself too. So, sometime in the future, fingers crossed. Fantastic. Uh, stay with over there, guys. Will do. Guys, uh, so till next time, uh, that's Dan Lawson, everybody. And our next guest is uh, going to be somebody who has well, uh, taken, taken a walk in a specific park. and I will be announcing him very soon. But till such time, stay safe, everyone, and I will see you next time. Thank Amen. you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.